Good morning, Cornerstone. How you guys doing? So good to see you guys. My name's Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, before I get into the sermon, let me just um, take a moment and, and tell you about something. We've been talking for a number of weeks about Harvest Festival here at Cornerstone. Um, we've made some announcements and slides and all this kind of stuff, and um, we've made a decision that uh, we're going to call off uh, Harvest Fest this year. Um, our offerings around here have been flat for a couple of months now, and just as leadership got together and started praying and trying to figure out what the best course of action is, um, we weren't sure that we would break even on it. We can't promise that we'd break even, and we felt like that was a risk we were not willing to take right now, so we called it off. So there's some advertising we have to sort of get down and that kind of thing, but um, we just made that decision like three days ago, so we're still working through getting everything together, but this year we won't have it, and we'll pray about next year and find that out. Uh, but you know, you may be really worried right now because you have all this extra candy you don't know what to do with. A couple options. You know, I guess you could eat it on the one hand, or maybe you just, there's this novel idea called trick-or-treating. People actually come to your door, and so you can give it away to the kids and, uh, and just show them love, love on your neighbor, be a good neighbor, and all that fun stuff, okay? Let's do this. Let's pray, and then we'll get going. God, we love you, and we thank you for today. Um, I just pray, God, for, uh, for our church. Lord, um, I don't really know why the offerings have been down for the last bit, but we pray that you would move in a powerful way uh, around us and in us. And God, I pray that you would um, help your people to um, learn what it means to be generous and to trust you in every area of their life. God, I pray just for your blessings and I pray for the wisdom that is needed for the leaders here of the church that we would know um, the best course of actions to take and that you would continue to move. And I pray for today, God, uh, that you would open up um, our spiritual eyes of understanding that we could hear from you and learn from you through the scripture. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So last week, Pastor Lynn started this new series called Guardrails. Um, and it's basically about this idea. We have guardrails on sharp curves, steep areas to keep us off embankments, and the whole reason of the guardrails is they're set away from the danger to protect us and keep us safe. Before we even get to where the dangerous area is, the guardrails help enable us a little buffer zone, an area to, of protection that we can operate in. And as Pastor Lynn talked last week, Scripture offers us in many different areas guardrails for life. Things that, that Scripture asks us, if you put these things in place in your life, then you will be able to avoid all sorts of trouble, all sorts of pain, all sorts of heartache. If you would put these guardrails in place, and if you would then not even push, how close can I get to the guardrail, but use them as a buffer to keep you in safe territory. And so we're going to talk about a few of those different areas over the next week. Today, um, we have the, the distinct honor of talking about Guardrails financially, uh, money guardrails. Now, let me just say this. We've had this sermon series planned a long time, for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. We just canceled Harvest Fest three days ago. So ironic, yes. Unfortunate that I have to do both, yes. But it wasn't planned. This, we didn't change the subject to say, well, we had to cancel Harvest Fest, so let's talk about money. We've planned on this, so yeah, it's, it is what it is. Uh, we'll just trust that God knows what he's doing in that one. But here's the deal. When we're talking about finances, there are primarily two traps, two ditches that people run in. On this side, you have the trap or the ditch of the spender. 
And the spender believes that all the money that, that comes their way is for them and they control it and it's in order to get stuff. More stuff, new stuff, better and bigger stuff. And the scorecard of the spender is how much stuff do I have? If I can get more, but the problem that we all know is this. If you're a spender in the room, if you don't have guardrails, you're deep in debt. You have credit card debt that you can't pay. If you're a spender in this room and there's not a guardrail up, although you think the credit card is the greatest invention of the 20th century, you're in trouble because of that. And you have to watch out. On this other ditch, we have savers. And, 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 and as the spender thinks it's all about getting more stuff and more stuff and more stuff, the saver is in this ditch that's, that says more and more and more security. I just need a little bit more and that'll be enough. And I'm not saying like, like good saving, healthy saving, or retirement. I'm saying but where the, where the point is the security has you so bound you're always asking, well, what if? What if I get sick? Or what if something happens? I just need a little bit more. And what you don't understand, that, that spenders and savers actually both have the same problem. Although it manifests itself differently because you're judging by different scorecards, it's the, the same problem at both issues. At the heart is greed. At the heart is greed. And now the saver could look at the spender and say, ha, ha, ha. I'm better than you are. I don't have credit card debt. I have security. But it's just, just as dangerous of a place to be to believe that your security will bring satisfaction. And the Bible warns us of this issue of greed in a number of places. And so what we want to do today is just talk about What's, what's a guardrail that we can set up in our finances? That no matter whether we're tendencies towards spenders or tendency towards savers, a guardrail that we can set up to say, I want to be sure I don't cross into that ditch. I don't fall into a trap. I don't lead myself or my family into destruction. And it's very simply this. It's a simple idea. The guardrail that I'm asking you to prayerfully consider setting up is this. Give first. Give first. Now, we're going to spend the rest of the time explaining what that means and talking about what that means, but the guardrail is simple today. Give first. Throughout Scripture, the Bible warns us in different places about greed. Let me just give you a couple of examples. Um, Jesus talks to the religious Pharisees, these religious people, and he looks at them, and this is what he says. You, you're, you try to clean up yourselves on the outside. You try to look presentable. But he says, inside, you're full of greed and wickedness. And he looks at them and he says, you hypocrites. You hypocrites. Do you really think you can clean up the outside, but inside you're riddled with greed? And that's going to honor God? And so if you're here today and you're calling yourself a follower of Christ, you're, you're trying to go after God, but you struggle with this issue of greed, and you struggle with this issue of giving first, let me just tell you, this issue of greed has the capacity to make you a hypocrite. And the people that you try to tell, I'm a Christian, I follow Christ. And if they look at you and they see greed just like they have, they're going to say, hypocrite. Why should I listen to you? You're a hypocrite. I'll give you another verse. Luke 12, verse 15. Jesus says, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. Your life doesn't consist in the abundance of possessions. 
Colossians 3.5 says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, listen here, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. So here's the warning that, that Paul gives here in um, this passage in Colossians. He says, Not only does greed have the capacity to make you a hypocrite, Greed has the capacity to lead you to be an idolater. Now, what, what does that mean? Greed, when it is rooted inside of us, and we don't have these guardrails established, we fall prey to idolatry and we begin to worship money or we worship stuff and we worship getting or we worship saving and accumulating and security so the Bible warns us, watch out. Be careful. Set up these guardrails so that the principle of your life is give first, not, well, I'll save up enough and then whatever I have left over, I'll give. Or I'll spend, 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 and, and after I'm through spending, if I have leftovers, then I'll give them to you. No, no, the guardrail we're asking you to prayerfully consider is this. Give first. Turn in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, if you will. And we'll see how Paul addresses this. Um, just to set a little bit of context, in, in 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians are both letters that Paul has written to a church, the church in Corinth. And this is a church that Paul had started some years earlier while he was on one of his missionary journeys through that region. He started this church, and then um, some trouble began to arise in Jerusalem. And in the church in Jerusalem, there were desperate financial needs. The people had great, great needs. The church was, was really struggling. And so Paul began to ask these churches that he had started throughout Corinth and Ephesus and places like that, would you consider helping out the church in Jerusalem? Your brothers and sisters are in need, and you have an abundance. Would you help out? And so here in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul is reminding, but also encouraging, giving some principles and some guardrails to the church in Corinth to say, don't forget about the church in Jerusalem. Don't forget about your brothers and sisters who are in need. Won't you help them out? Okay, so 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Let's start reading in verse 6. The Bible says this, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. This is called in Scripture the law of the harvest, that you, you reap what you sow. And so if you're uh, one of those people who does a little backyard gardening and you buy some tomato seeds and you go out and plant them and you, you put them in and you get the soil right and you water it, you don't expect oranges to come up out of the ground, do you? You, you, you're looking for tomato because you put the seeds in, you reap what you sow, like and kind. You also reap in accordance to with how much you sow. So if you plant one, you expect one to pop up. I don't know how that works. I don't have a green thumb, so it's just however much you sow, that's how much you reap. I'm not native to Arizona. Um, so I still don't get this uh, thing we have to do every fall, but, but I do it nonetheless as a proud homeowner. Um, everybody tells me it's time to plant winter grass. And I'm like, it doesn't make sense because my grass looks fine. It's still green. It's still growing. But then they tell me, no, 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 go out and scalp it. So it just looks like dirt and nastiness. And I'm like, but it's nice green grass. They're like, it won't be for long. 
I don't know if they're right, but I'm trusting them. So I go out there this week, I get my lawnmower, I bottom it out, I get my weed eater, and here I go and I'm mowing the dirt. And it's nasty and it's dusty and I'm just making a mess. And, and I had went to Home Depot and um, bought the biggest bag of perennial ryegrass I could find anywhere. And I'm hauling that out to my car and walking out to my car and here I go, the proud homeowner sowing his seed in his yard. And so I'm walking around with my little spreader and I'm so proud of it. And I'm telling you, I put so much seed out. Like the neighbors are looking at me like I'm weird and my backyard is, is like a seed lot. And now you just walk through and it's seed everywhere you go. And, and I'm like, but I don't care because I believe in the law of the harvest. I don't understand it when it comes to grass in Arizona, but I believe the more seed that I put out, the more grass is going to grow. So I'm putting it out, I'm putting it out, I'm putting it out. And they were laughing at me as I'm spreading it, but they're not going to be laughing when it grows up and it's like the greenest grass. They're putting the stake, best yard in the neighborhood. And I'm like, yeah, I'm glad I'm overseeded now. <laughs> and we believe that principle when it comes to things like seeding your lawn or agricultural analogies. But the Bible says it is just as true when it comes to finances. It is just as true, and even more so, financially, in our obedience to God, when we begin to give first, and when we begin to be generous, like God wants us to be. And he says, therefore, if you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly, but if you sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. Look at the next verse. Verse 7 says, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. At the heart of the conversation today, it, it, it honestly is really not about money. This is really a conversation about the heart. And so this passage says that each of us should give what we've decided in our hearts. And this, this word decided is a, is a word that means with purpose. We've determined. We've got a plan. And for those of us, if you're like me, you don't like this word, the, the dreaded B word when it comes to finances. It's, you have a b budget. You, you have a plan. You've worked on this. Uh, you know, this is super crazy spiritual, I know, but you've actually prayed and asked God for wisdom in how to deal with your finances, in how to be a good steward of what you've got. If you're married, it means you've, you've sat down with your spouse and you've said, let's talk about this together. Let's, let's get a plan. Because the reality is, if you are married, one of you's probably a spender, one of you's probably a saver, and that's why you come to a lot of our pastors and say, we need counseling. We need help. Because it doesn't work good. But you sit down and you have a plan and you decide, you, you purpose in your heart. How do we give first? How do we set up guardrails in our life so that we don't run off the road, so that we don't get in the ditch? You purpose in your heart. You decide. But also look what he says. You give from your heart, not reluctantly. Do you honestly think that it honors God if it's like, I don't really want to give, but I know I have to. Here you go. No, no, not, not reluctantly. That, that doesn't honor God. And it says, not under compulsion. 
don't give because you have to. It's expected or demanded of you. I can promise you at Cornerstone, we're never going to have a group of people at the back door collecting W-2s as you walk out to, to make sure you're giving the right amount. Not under compulsion. That's not, that's not how God wants us to give. God says, but the, the next part of the verse says, for God loves a cheerful giver. That's how God wants us to give. From the heart, in a cheerful way. This word for cheerful in the, the Greek, it literally, it's where we get our English word hilarious. Hilarious. That God loves a giver who finds joy in giving. Not one that you have to pry their stingy fingers off the money, but somebody who has discovered that there really is a joy in being generous. There really is a freedom and hilarity that comes in being obedient in this area. If you could discover this, if you could discover this joy of giving, this joy of saying, I'll give first, if you could discover it, it would transform your heart and your attitude. It would, it would save you from a lot of pain, I promise, in the next few months. Today we are 11 weeks away from Christmas. Can you believe that? 11 weeks away from Christmas. Um, if you would set up these guardrails that we're talking about today, I can promise you, then you won't spend January and February regretting what you did in November and December to prepare for Christmas. Well, you can save yourself some guardrails. You can say, you know what, let's have a plan. Let's, let's have an idea of what we're getting into. Um, there's, there's a story that we're all familiar with, um, Charles Dickens' classic Christmas story, A Christmas Carol. And, and you all know Ebenezer Scrooge, this very, very wealthy but absolutely miserable miserable man, the epitome of a greedy person. Well, he has the dream that we all know about where like the ghosts of the Christmas past and present and future and all that come to visit him. But he's transformed and something happens the following day and as he goes out, he's no longer this miser. All of a sudden, he's, he's just the most generous man you can imagine and he's walking the streets looking for people in need so he can hand out his money. And here's how Dickens describes him in the story. Um, he's talking about Scrooge, and he says, he had never dreamed that any walk, that anything, could give him so much happiness. Some people laughed to see the alteration in him, but he let them laugh and little heeded them. His own heart laughed, and that was quite enough for him. His own heart laughed. His own heart was cheerful, understanding the joy that can be discovered in generosity. Look at the next verse, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8. And God is able. Would you just say that with me real quick? And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And God is able. There's three points that I want to pull out of this verse to, to help us understand what these guardrails mean and what these guardrails do and, and how we can get the right perspective to lay that guardrail of give first into our lives. The first one is this. You've got to get a right view of God. You've got to get this right view of God. If, if you have a pen and paper, I'm going to give you three points over the next few minutes. I, just write these down. You've got to get a right view of God. We are created in the image of a generous, giving God. We are created in the image of this God. Let me give you just a couple of verses. Uh, Genesis 1, verse 26 says, 
Um, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. So God created man in his own image. And this is the image of a God who is a creator, a giver, generous. So when we enter into this give first, we are being like God. We are living the life that God has created us to live in his image. Genesis 12, when God begins to call out Abraham, it says that God blessed Abraham, not for his own benefit, but that Abraham was blessed to be a blessing. He was blessed to be a blessing to help others, to meet others' needs, to, to bring a light to them. The Bible gives us different descriptions of God and his generosity. The Father gave us the Son in John 3.16, his only begotten Son. Jesus gave himself, his life as a ransom for many. The Holy Spirit is a gift given to us. Salvation is a gift given to us by God. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above. See, God is a generous God. But here's the fundamental problem at stake here. Our greedy hearts cause us to look at God as a taker and not a giver. And that perversion of our hearts begins to manifest itself and affect our view of God. Let me, let me tell you how it happened to me. When I was young, my parents gave me a dollar. We were on our way to church and they said, here's, here's your offering, you need to give it at church. I'm thinking, it's a dollar. You know what I could do with a dollar? I'm thinking, but it's a dollar. Like, is God broke? He needs my dollar? Like, why does he have to have my dollar? Bad economy up in heaven? I don't understand. And so from a young age, for some reason, I got this misunderstanding, misrepresentation of who God was. And I began to think, you know, God wants to take from me. And I'm sort of in this tug of war of this is mine, well, he wants it, it's his, and, and, and how do I do that? And, and, I, and I totally miss the fact that, no, no, he is generous in, in, in his generosity and his giving nature. It's everything that I have has come to me through him. And it, it's not about he's a, a taker wanting to take and wanting to consume. It's that he's wanting to give, wanting to bless, but not for my own benefit so that I can pass it on. And here's the problem. If we think that God is a taker, then we think he's trying to take advantage of us. And we think the best thing in our arsenal to do is to say, I'll take care of me first. But giving's not bad. I'll do that. I'll just take care of me first. I'll, I'll save a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. I'll just give later my leftovers. Or we say, you know, I know giving's important, but, but there's some things that I need. Or, I mean, okay, let's be honest. There's some things that I want, and there's a little bit more, and there's something newer and bigger and better, and I'll take that. And giving's good, and I'll give. I'll just, I'll give later. Where God says, no, if, if you understand who he is, he's not a taker trying to take those things away. He's a giver. And if we would set up the guardrail in our life to give first and, and, and understand this, through my giving, I break the power of greed in my life. I break the hold, the stronghold that it has on my life when I'm being obedient and being like God and like he has called me to. Because since we are created in the image of God, there is something deep inside of us. I, I believe this wholeheartedly. There's something deep inside of us. Even if you don't feel it, even if you've never sensed it, 
because we're created in the image of God, there is this place in our heart that resonates with giving. And it's, it's waiting to be awakened, waiting to be brought to life in us, to experience the joys of what it means to be a cheerful giver, to understand what it means to be loved by God because God loves cheerful givers, has a special place in his heart, to understand what it means to meet the needs of those around us and be more focused on that and find more purpose and fulfillment in that than any kind of spending or any kind of saving could ever bring. The big issue is really how we see God in this. Because from a greedy heart, we allow money to determine the way that we view God. When the scriptures tell us, we've got to be very careful. We need to set up the guardrails so that we allow God to determine our view on money and not the other way around. Even your money tries to remind you of this principle. Every piece of cash, coin or paper that you have on you tries to remind you of this principle. It's on the back of my $1 bill and it says very plainly there, in God we trust. Because even our money is a reminder to say it's not about that stuff. It's not about that stuff. It's not about getting more and more and more. It's not about saving more and more. That's going to bring you fulfillment and satisfaction and meaning and purpose in life. It's in God we trust. So the right view of God determines the right view of money. Number two, you've got to redefine what it means to be rich. You've got to redefine what it means to be rich. If you're a spender and you're saying, here's what it means to be rich. Look at my stuff. Look at this new TV that you didn't even know they had them yet. Look at what I've got. Look at my clothes, my car, look at all this stuff. You're defining rich, obviously the exact way the world defines rich. If you're a, if you're a saver and you're saying, look at my bank statements, or actually you probably don't even do that, you're just filled with pride thinking, <laughs> I'm looking at my bank statement. And you're defining rich the same way that the world defines it. There's a redefinition that goes on here. In verse 8, the middle part of that, it says, so that in all things, at all times, having all you need. What else do you really need? Like, like what do you really need in life? Here in Chandler, Arizona, what do you really need? What can you buy today that's going to make your life more fulfilled, spenders? How much more do you have to save? How much more security do you need savers before it's enough? This phrase here, having all you need, is a very interesting Greek word. It means sufficiency. And it is this idea of, of self-sufficiency. From the time of Socrates to philosophers of Paul's day, this word sufficiency was very important because it, it, it referred to independence, Success, you've, you've made something of yourself. You've, you've accumulated enough wealth to be sufficient. Paul takes this word and he redefines it. And he says, this isn't like the self-made man. This isn't Beyonce's independent woman. We're not talking about an independent self-sufficiency. Paul says, no, no, no. Everything you have comes from God. Everything is a gift from God. So it's not about independence and self-sufficiency. It's about dependence and trust. 
and sufficiency found in Christ alone. That's what Paul's talking about here. Our sufficiency that comes through knowing Christ and Him alone. Not, not knowing Christ plus having some good stuff and then I've got fulfillment in life or knowing Christ and then plus enough security in life. No, no, no. Christ plus nothing. That's sufficiency. Knowing Him and Him knowing me and loving Him and being loved by Him, that's sufficiency. That's what it means to be rich. That's what it means to be wealthy. Um, we have this tendency, though, to say, no, 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 no. Yeah, all that spiritual stuff's good, but let's talk about, let's talk about real rich. Um, now, if I asked you to raise your hand if you're rich in this room, probably very few of you would do that. But um, I would argue the poorest person in this room is pretty rich in the eyes of this world. Um, there's this thing online, you can, you can Google it, the wealth calculator. It's called the Global Rich List. So if you're in this room and you're a college student or you have a part-time job or something like that and you make $15,000 a year, $15,000 a year, that's it, you are in the top 12% richest people in the world. You make $15,000 a year, that's it. You are in the top 12% richest people in the whole entire world. If you are pretty average for Chandler, just average around here is like $70,000. So if you're average Chandler person, you make $70,000 a year, you are in the top 0.85% richest people. You're in the top 1% of the richest people in the world. You're rich. I mean, you're like filthy, stinking rich, top 1%. You're loaded. Even if we go from the spenders or savers argument, you're loaded. So what more do you need? But Paul says, no, no, let's not focus on those things. Let's focus on our sufficiency is in Christ and our identity is being like him. And our God is a generous God. And being rich is this idea of what he has coming to us, we're a conduit. And yes, he wants us to take care of our needs. And yes, he wants to meet every one of our needs. And no, there is nothing wrong with having things, even nice things in life. And there's nothing wrong with having security and accounts and retirement. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you've not placed the guardrail up in your life of give first, your stuff's got you. Your stuff's directing you. And you're not directing it. And when it comes to giving, if you've not set that guardrail up in your life of give first, you're giving your leftovers. And God says, that's not what I want. That's not my desire. That's not the heart that I have for you. The third idea is, is this. You've got to realize it's better to give than to receive. You've got to realize it's better to give than to receive. Years and years ago, when I was a child, um, my, all of my friends were getting um, game systems. And so I was like the poor little deprived boy that didn't have a game system. So one birthday, my parents felt sorry for me, and they got me a video game system. Now, all of my friends got the coolest, newest version of Atari. Anybody even know what I'm talking about? So they had the Atari video game system. I was jealous. I thought, that is not fair. Why can't I get an Atari? So my birthday comes along, and um, there's a box, and I'm thinking, that is a video game system. I know for sure. I'm so excited. 
So I begin to open it, just not, couldn't even hold the anticipation of seeing my Atari. And I open it up, and it's not an Atari. It's ColecoVision. Now, I don't, does anybody even know what a ColecoVision is? The only thing I know about Colecos now is Donkey Kong came from there. But it's Coleco. So, like, back then I was devastated, and I'm thinking, that is just not even fair. Okay, I'll put it in modern-day perspective. It's like all of your friends are getting iPhones because iPhones are what all the cool people have. But you get a BlackBerry, nerd. It's that kind of a thing. That's how I felt, and I just thought, this is not fair. How do I, how do I not get an Atari like everybody else? As I was typing this up this weekend, um, I have ADD, so I was walking around my house. I would type a little, walk a little. And I saw this little packet laying on our desk. It's a little boy that we sponsor in Haiti named Gidlin. And I'm typing up this story of Coleco and Atari and iPhone and Blackberry and how I was just not content with my Coleco. And I read this about Gidlin. First line, Gidlin lives with his father and his mother. He is responsible for carrying water to his house. Arguing over what kind of game system we have, over how smart of a smartphone we have. That's a rich person problem. Not a Gidlin kind of problem. And, and there's a kind of wealth and, and riches that God is talking about that aren't about getting more and more, saving more and more. It's about what are we doing with what we have? Are we being a good steward with what we've been entrusted with? And this third idea of you've got to realize it's better to give than to receive is, is just about this. The last part of verse 8 says, you will abound in every good work. And this is exactly the principle that this verse is talking about. It's, it's asking this kind of question. Is your money being used in a useful way? Is, is it benefiting others? Or is it all about what you can get, what you can save? Or is it being useful, beneficial to others? That's what, that's what Paul is calling the Corinthians to, to be a blessing. Listen, he's not saying don't get stuff. He's not saying don't save stuff. He's just saying put up a guardrail in your life that says I'll give first so that others can be blessed. I'll still get my stuff, but others first. I'll give first. Acts 20 verse 35 literally says this. It is more blessed to give than to receive. It is more blessed to give than receive. And literally that word in the Greek, blessed, means you're happier. You're happier when you're giving than when you're receiving. Now, the honest truth is not every one of us in here is experiencing this truth, this principle, but it's still a spiritual truth. It's still a possibility. It's a dream that God has for you. Um, I, I begin to think, as I was preparing this, about some of the incredible things that God has done around Cornerstone already this year. We have well over 300 people this year already who have prayed to receive Christ at Cornerstone. And I'm thankful for that, and I'm grateful for that. Just a few months ago, we had a backpack drive for some of the, the children in the Chandler School Districts that, that just don't have enough. We collected over 500 backpacks full of, of school supplies for these kids. And I'm thinking, yes. 
This year, about 200 children have been sponsored through our partnerships with Haruma, an orphanage in Africa, and Harvest India, our partnership. Over 200 kids have been sponsored. Back on Easter, we did this campaign called Egg Your City. And in Egg Your City, our, our desire was to help these school children. They needed clothes for school. They needed meals because they didn't have the money for food. And they needed an education. And we raised this money and collected it so that they could get these things within an environment where they could also learn about Jesus Christ. And I thought, we've been honored and, and privileged to give. And we're on the right path. But we're not there yet. And yes, I want to celebrate those things and I want to rejoice that, man, we've had this honor and this privilege of partnering, but, but I also want to keep things in perspective to say, yes, we're giving, but, but is it generous? Is it out of this, this guardrail that says give first and then take care of um, ourselves later? And I, and I have to say, well, no, I don't think so because the, the reality is the $70,000 that we collected at Easter for, for, for this campaign in India, I mean, if we divide it among all of us who show up on a Sunday, it really was like the equivalent of movie and a couple, at a theater and a couple snacks. So I, I, on the one hand, I'm really glad that we're giving, but on the other hand, I'm like, but we're not quite there yet. Here's an example. I went home the other day, and my six-year-old son, Will, came running up to me. And he's like, Dad, 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 I haven't watched TV all day. That's a big deal for him. If you knew him, borderline... TV attic. Um, but, but he's saying, I haven't watched TV all day. I'm like, man, that's awesome. That is so cool. That is good. I'm proud of you, buddy. What have you been doing? Um, well, I played the iPad. I played the Wii. Like, buddy, <laughs> I'm glad you didn't watch TV, but it's not quite there yet. Not quite what we're talking about. And this idea of it's better to give than to receive in order for us to experience that as a reality and experience the joy that comes from that reality as the scriptures promise us, we've got to put up guardrails to fight the culture of greed and the culture of consumption that we live in. Um, just a, a few weeks back, I was having lunch with one of our pastors here at Cornerstone. And um, he just began to tell me about some amazing, amazing things that God was doing in his life. And, and he said, he's smiling the whole time and he's so excited he can hardly stand it. He said, I can't, I cannot tell you how incredible this last little bit has been for my wife and I. We've experienced the blessings of God in, in just a profound way. I just can't even explain it. He said, it, it seems to me financially that the more I give, the more God blesses me. That, that the more I invest, the more God just begins to use and bless opportunities and, and bring people in our path. And, and so he told me just about this way. of He had given year after year, for years and years and years and years. But he said, I just realized my heart wasn't in it. I was giving out of duty or reluctance or out of obligation, but I wasn't giving, I wasn't giving with a cheerful heart. He said, something just happened, and I just began to give. And, and it was so life-giving to me. And he said, it just began to happen in a few small ways that, that we would give and we would meet a need and then all of a sudden my wife would get a bonus at work or something would happen and it was just amazing and, and it just kept on happening and it was snowballing. He said, so we decided to do something. We set up a savings account just for the money that we would give away. I thought, that's pretty radical. So he said, we've given away thousands of dollars recently. 
And God just keeps on blessing. He said, I, I still invest in my retirement and I'm still going to get Christmas presents for all the family, but, but I've made giving a priority. I've put it first and God is doing some amazing things. So, so he does this. He has this little savings account with money and basically his wife and, and he, they walk around, they go through life with their ears open, praying, God, if somebody has a need, let us know about it. And so they're going through life and they're at work or, you know, wherever they go. I don't know. And they catch wind that somebody has a need. And then somehow he goes into like top secret ninja uh, mode and he has this little envelope full of cash and somehow he puts it right in a place where that person finds it. And that person opens it up and they're like, oh, this is exactly what I needed. And, and part of the cool part of this story is since he's a pastor, oftentimes he catches wind of the, the celebration of the story and the person's like, Pastor, you won't even believe this, but, but I had this great need and, and, and I just didn't know what I was going to do and I was sunk and, and all of a sudden there was this envelope and I opened it up and I don't know how God did it. It was just the amount of money that I needed. He's, and he's like, isn't God amazing? And he's sitting there inside celebrating. His heart is so cheerful because he's understanding how God is using him, but also somebody's need is getting met. Their very real needs are being met. And then thirdly, God is being praised through the process. If you read the, first, the rest of first, uh, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 9, that's exactly what happens here. That the believers, as they're giving, they get to be a part of generosity and their hearts begin to come alive and they begin to rejoice and experience what it means to be a cheerful giver. And at the same time, the needs of their brothers and sisters around them are being met because they're sacrificially giving so that no one goes without. And most importantly, and above all, God is being glorified and God is being shown for his power through the lives of obedient Christians who say, I'm willing to give first. I'm willing to put the guardrail up in my life. Now, I'm not here today telling you how to give or where to give. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying, will you give? Because my prayer for you is I want you to experience these blessings that God has. I want you to experience the overflow that God has when we begin to step out in faith and obedience in our finances, that you would become a person who can say, I am a cheerful giver. I've seen God move in my life. I've been a person who's helped meet the needs of others. Thanks be to God, because he can do all things. And I want, you, I want that for you so bad. And I want you to know that's what God wants for you. God doesn't just want something from you. He's not a taker. He's a giver. He wants you to be blessed. But just not for your own good, so that you can be a blessing. He wants you to be generous so that you can help others and glorify him. So for those of you who are savers and you're stuck in that and it's just not enough. It's never enough. Would you prayerfully put up a guardrail today and say, I will purpose in my heart. I will decide. I'm not going to stop the saving, but I'm going to give first. I'm not going to wait and save, 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 and then give leftovers. I put the guardrail up today. I'll I'll give first. For those of you who are the spenders, I'm not saying stop spending, don't spend anything, but I'm saying would you consider giving first? Meeting the needs of others, helping out, being obedient first. And you avoid all of the dangers and the traps on both sides of that territory. Let's pray. Father, we pray today and we thank you for 
your incredible word and your truths that, that make our hearts come to life. And God, I pray that today you would set us free because God, we just confess a lot of this stuff doesn't make sense to our minds. And it doesn't make sense how we can give away money and still reap blessings. But we trust you that it's true and we trust because you are a giver and you are generous, God. I pray for the men and the women who are in this room and financially they're in a situation that is so difficult. They don't even know a way out. They don't even know how they could possibly start to give. I pray that you would give them wisdom. I pray that you would help them to know what to do. I pray that you would provide for them. I pray that other people around them would make a commitment today to give first and be the answer to their prayers. I pray for those who never have really given. They've held back, they've spent, they've saved. I pray today, God, give them the courage to put up a guardrail that says, I will give first. I will meet the needs of others. I will start walking towards generosity. And then, God, I pray for those out there that are like me. We've given and we've given and we've been faithful, but we've still seldom stepped into generosity. It's been more sporadic than it has been faithful. God, break our hearts, but also open our eyes to the possibilities that come through generous living and generous giving. God, let us follow your example and let us be like you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.